What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are. And it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. The question is, does it get to the family? It does go to Joe. In these cases, it does because he's part of these institutes. How much of what is going on in, in Biden's background that you're uncovering isn't being covered. I think it's not just Hunter, it's the whole family. There's uh, Biden's cutting deals all over the world. These people need to be subpoenaed and I will provide the questions that they should be asked uh, if anyone asks me. All right, this is the Sean Spicer Show. Joining us today, Alex Marlowe of Breitbart and Congressman Mike Waltz of Florida. So much to break down with the two of them coming up. Uh, yesterday, as you guys know, the president finally, after four days, after four days, finally addressed the American people about what's going on in Israel. We're talking about over 1,200 dead, including at least 14 Americans, 20 that are still unaccounted for, and 12 or so, maybe more, that have been taken hostage, and the president finally spoke finally spoke. The media is all over. Oh, what an amazing, he's so strong. This is the guy who didn't call Netanyahu or didn't want to meet with him for months. He couldn't be bothered for four days and he's he gives a good speech. I mean, literally, the actions usually speak louder than the words and up to this, he has shunned these guys. It's amazing. I mean, the, the I've said this before, but the media will do anything to cover for this guy. It is unbelievable. Americans are dead missing and held hostage. And this guy finally speaks to us after four days of being at the White House. He wasn't even on his normal vacation. It's just, it is sad to see the, the lengths to which these guys will, will go over, back, bend over backwards to cover them. And you notice who's standing with Hamas? Have you noticed it? It's the left. All of the folks on the left, the members of Congress, the university students, all of these folks are on the left. No stand with Israel, blue check bar or, or screens on their Instagram pages like it was with Ukraine or during Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, by the way, put out a statement. They're standing with Hamas. This is what's happening. Where's the outrage? The whataboutism, the both sidesism, none of that. You know, it's just funny how the media and the left look the other way when it's their side. How do you defend babies being killed and beheaded, people being dragged from their homes. This isn't war. This is an act of terror. And it's the left that is condoning it. There's no one on the right that's condoning it. The right is unified in its outrage. It's President Biden's party. It is President Biden's movement that is not standing with them. It is people like Congresswoman Tlaib that won't answer a simple question. 
about whether it's okay that babies are being killed and beheaded, people being dragged through the streets. This is the left. They're the only ones that are standing with Hamas and the terrorists. They're putting out statements. These folks in college, universities, Harvard, UVA, all over the country, they're holding parades and putting out statements condemning Israel and no outrage. No outrage. The president didn't address Iran yesterday. He didn't talk about his side and how he should tell them to stand down and support Israel. Yes, he gave a strong support of Israel. That's great. It was a speech. He did nothing to tamp down the left while Hamas continues to attack. They're talking about beheading people if Israel fights back, beheading the people that they have gone in and taken hostage. Unbelievable. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, I'm excited to talk to our next, next guest, Alex Marlowe. He's the editor-in-chief at Breitbart News. Uh, he's been all over President Biden. Um, he has written a book previously called Breaking the News. It was a New York Times bestseller, and he's out with his brand new book called Breaking Biden, exposing the hidden forces and secret money machine behind Joe Biden, his family, and his administration. It promises to be extremely revealing, and considering that we are in the midst of an impeachment inquiry, I have a feeling that there are several members of Congress that are going to want to be reading this book. So I'm excited to have this conversation with Alex. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us and congrats on the book. Sean, always appreciate being with you. And it's nice that uh, we don't have to spar over any reporting that I'm doing about things you're working on today, like your White House days. So uh, this is going to be very pleasant for me. You know, this isn't how I wanted to start, but since you brought it up, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing because... I, um, I, you know, I get, I get asked a lot at events, like what's the most difficult, what, who is the most difficult person? What was the thing? And the yeah. irony is as much as the left sort of talks about right-wing media, you guys at Breitbart were probably tougher on me and some specific people at Breitbart. I'm not going to name sure. names or Matt Boyle, but <laughs> it, it's, yeah, don't mention Matt on the no, show. No, I'm not, Absolutely I'm not, not trying to call anyone out, but it's amazing to me. Like, the people on the right, and I would even include to some degree the Daily Caller, um, th the folks on the right are harder than it was on the left. I could blow off the folks on the left. You guys were dogged. And it was like, I mean, there was almost a level of we're going to hold you guys accountable for, you know, because you've made promises. Yeah, that's totally true. And that is how we operate uh, uh, as a conservative movement in general these days. I think sometimes it works out really well. Sometimes I think it we waste some time on it. But uh, overall, there is such lack of accountability amongst the entire establishment. And so we've become accustomed to wh whatever is the Washington status quo, so long as the establishment media apparatus is okay with it, then no one else applies pressure. And this was my life for the first, you know, eight, 10 years I was in media. And then finally, we see some daylight. Donald Trump gets in. Uh, we're starting to see some movement uh, at the grassroots level. 
and we feel like we have no choice but to apply uh, we to apply pressure for people to live up to their standards. And I, I don't think it needs to be nasty. And I know there are some people who are a little more hard nosed than I am uh, negotiating sometimes <laughs> and trying to argue. <laughs> Uh, but it's a, but I think you appreciate the premise that we've been burned so many times by right. so many people. Uh, that, that that is sort of where we come from. But you know there is a risk that it goes too far. A lot of the news lately has been more Republican infighting, and I'm not saying that it couldn't ultimately have some dividend. Uh, but I'm trying to get attention to Joe Biden and this horrific regime that's in power now, and I'm like, oh oh, we're on which conservative is only 98 well, percent pure, 80 percent pure. Let, let me. I want to get to. I mean, again, this is not where I wanted to go with this. But you you bring up an interesting point before we get into Biden. <laughs> it's my fault. No, it's a, but but it's a great point that like one of the things that's so interesting about this current speaker fight. And and I want I just want to go with this for a second because I'll come back to yeah. it in a second. But the point that you're making, if if you on the the vote to remove Biden. I mean, excuse me, <laughs> we don't have a vote yet on that. Um, the yeah, vote to remove day, McCarthy. There were people mm -hmm. like Chip Roy, Tom Massey, who, uh, Anna Paulina Luna, she was here yesterday. There are no, like, wilting flowers. These are hardcore conservatives, right. MAGA yeah. to the bone. And yet they were, for whatever reason, saying we want to stick with McCarthy. And yet if you dared express that, you were... Uh, you know, a bad conservative among a lot of yeah. the movement. And the thing that I find interesting about, you know, what what we're talking about is there's there, somebody sets this bar of purity. So I may have the yes. same goal as you. Like, I want to close the southern border. I mean, that's an issue. And there are some people like you take Tony Gonzalez, who lives down on the border, uh, represents that district down there. And he'll say, hey, I live here. I know how to do it better. And yet you have some Republicans that will attack him and say he's not conservative enough because he doesn't hew to the solution that we've deemed necessary. And that's where I kind of wonder, are we hurting ourselves as a movement sometimes? Because we all agree sometimes on the same thing. Like I've asked all these people about the speaker vote. We all want 13 bills or 12 bills, 12, you know, and, yes. and I want to cut spending. I want to shrink the size of government. And yet if, if you don't agree to what, in this case, Matt Gates has agreed to, then you're a bad conservative. Yeah. And this is something that is not playing out in the polls. It's certainly not playing out if you talk to normal people, if uh, you get off the computer and you go and interact with real people. Uh, no one is, is – there's a very small percentage of the, of the public that's engaged at this level. And even those who are, I think privately, would tell you they understand that Kevin McCarthy has an impossible job. Almost no one wants that job. And even though he's naturally an, an establishment guy, for sure, he is, uh, he has – done a pretty pretty good job of trying to communicate and to hear what is of importance to the base. But it's those loud online voices that are uh, f uh, overwhelming the conversation in a lot of ways. And I, I love those voices a lot of times, and they have a lot of, a lot of use. But I don't even think that even the most hardcore conservative activists necessarily agree that this is a good use of time right now, especially when you factor in stuff like, you know, McCarthy allowed for the ethics investigation into Matt Gates to continue. Of course, that's a big factor of why Gates wants him out. And uh, by the way, I don't blame Gates for feeling that way. I right. mean, if a guy was allowing for an ethics investigation to me, I'd be pretty fired up about it. <laughs> uh, but it, it is, it, it, it's obviously a, uh, it, it's more 
it, it is it is more of the stuff that could potentially take away from accountability for the current regime, in my view. I'm not saying there might not be something good that comes from it in the end. I love Jim Jordan. I like Steve Scalise. I mean, these are good guys. They, they, they could do a good job. They could do a better job. But it was sort of surreal for me because I'm out here trying to promote how bad the Bidens are. And then we're back on how bad See, McCarthy is again. I'm like, oh, it's, what, what are we doing? I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. Well, and that's the funny thing about this. One, both candidates have now told the conference, the Republican conference, that they're going to, they're probably going to have to do another short-term CR, which is what they got yeah. mad at McCarthy for. And yet well, he well, the, 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 this is my theory is that, and if I'm wrong, Sean, I will come back and I'll apologize. But I'm pretty, I, I, I'm pretty good at accessing a crystal brain here. Uh, the House will run very similarly. Yes. If it's McCarthy, Jordan, Scalise, it's going to be pretty similar. If there's noticeable differences, and I, I, I'm probably like McCarthy, the least of the three. So right. I, I'm not even saying like I'm a big McCarthy guy, but it's the, I don't think it's going to change that much. And it's going to be a lot of time of disunity. So again, this isn't, it's mostly interesting to talk about. There's a lot of good arguments on all sides. Uh, it's sort of, it's really fun one to Monday morning quarterback. Yeah. Um, but I just find it interesting how we've got an opportunity to, I think, do some real damage to the Biden family here. Um, yeah. Figuratively speaking, I disavow political violence, just to be clear right. for the record. We can do some real damage now, and we're not we're not on that topic. So this topic. is you, you just hit on something that I have been saying almost every show. This guy, you can't he can't go down a flight of stairs. He can't communicate a coherent sentence on policy. Yeah. His policies that are enacted are disastrous domestically and overseas. Think about it. I mean, there's nothing. Charlie Kirk tweeted this out yesterday. The press spent four years screaming at, that Donald Trump would start a nuclear war. Instead, we got the Abraham Accords, the first presidential visit to North Korea, the end to ISIS, stability in Ukraine, and a planned withdrawal from Afghanistan. Under Joe Biden, that Afghan withdrawal became a national embarrassment. Israel is in its biggest war in a half a century, and Europe is in the biggest war since the defeat of Hitler. Everybody is waiting in fear, wondering what war will start next. Joe Biden's foreign policy is a calamity. So when you talk about, in this book, Breaking Biden, is that, I mean, how much of this do you talk about his decision-making and his failed policies? Yeah, a lot. Yeah, so uh, the, the the book is broken down into three sections. Uh, the first part is a family background and a, a history of some of these corrupt deals as families doing overseas. Uh, I unearthed some new details, particularly about uh, uh, subject matters like the cancer moonshot that Joe's got going, which is a big grift to benefit his son-in-law. I was able to figure out uh, the uh, uh, University of Delaware Biden Institute, uh, which was a, another grift that was set up that that has uh, led to the flow of Chinese money into the University of Delaware. It's enriched Hunter. It's enriched his sister, Valerie. And it's, it's certainly enriched Joe to some degree. Uh, things like that. That's the first third. And the final third of the book is all of his domestic fall, uh, policy failings. 
But I have a middle third, a huge chunk of the book, four chapters that was dedicated specifically to things he's gotten wrong uh, internationally. And that doesn't include his horrific border policy, which I always think of in moments like this, Sean, because the world is even more perilous than usual. And we have an open border. And he went out of his way to undo the policies that Donald Trump was putting in place that final year of office that were, of course, going to keep Americans safer. And so he went out of his way to make us less secure at the border. But yes, I've got four chapters on the his foreign policy failings. And they're so famous, Sean. Every single time Joe Biden set, him, set his mind to something, when it comes to diplomacy and international relations, he set us back. Yeah. Uh, Ukraine, the Ukraine war. I have a whole chapter where I document how Joe Biden's Ukraine-Russia policy put us in the position and put Putin in the position where he was going to be compelled to invade. Now, to be clear, Putin's more to blame than anyone. Putin's a bad guy, et cetera, of course. But next most to blame is Joe Biden. Joe Biden pressed all of Putin's buttons. He did nothing to tamp down Zelensky. And he let every indication go on that America was softening on Putin's red line, which was a letting NATO uh, absorb Ukraine, letting Ukraine into NATO, which Putin was never going to tolerate. Right. Whenever that rhetoric ramped up, Putin would invade somewhere. That's exactly what happened here. Joe Biden failed in that regard. So that's a major thing. Of course, I go through the Afghanistan withdrawal, which was even more stunning to me going through it as a research project than just reading the headlines. I document the $7 billion of weaponry that we left there from drones to hundreds of thousands of rifles, aircraft, helicopters, body armor, all the stuff that we left. And of course, it was going to end up in the hands of terrorists. And that's exactly what we learned this week. Uh, and it goes on from there that we droned children and we just moved on. We accidentally droned a car full of children. 13 American service members died. Uh, all of this, he should have been removed from office on the spot from this, uh, from this failure. And now that failure is playing into what we're seeing over the weekend. So, so let me kind of combine. Your last book was called Breaking the News. It was a bestseller. This one's Breaking yeah. Biden. I want to combine them for one second. Sure. Biden, over the weekend, while this is happening, has a barbecue at the White House. We now know that yeah. he was being interviewed by the special counsel on yeah. Sunday and Monday. He didn't address the American people about what was happening in Israel, which is bad enough that it was happening in Israel. But we also had a dozen-plus Americans killed, 20-plus still missing, over 14 uh, taken hostage. So just from an American standpoint, forget the the tragedy uh, that's being going on in Israel. Just as an American president, he should have addressed that. And yet the media response was, he's amazing. He spoke so eloquently and forcefully yes. in support of him. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy didn't talk to Netanyahu. He ignored him. He refused to meet with him or give him an invitation to the White House, made it happen in New York to slight Netanyahu. And yet, how much of what's happening and that you're uncovering in breaking Biden isn't getting the the normal. I kept thinking to myself when I was watching this, I'm like, as I as you saw in Charlie Kirk's tweet, all the stuff that Trump did wasn't rhetoric. He actually did it. How much of what is going on in, in Biden's background that you're uncovering isn't being covered because of the media that is covering for him? Uh, th this is exactly the connection uh, that you, you should make, and I'm glad you made it, uh, Sean. And I have a piece on Breitbart.com where I try to connect some of these dots, though. Uh, of course, there's far, far more in the book. But I look back at the history 
of some of his foreign policies in the region. And let's take Iran, for example. The JCPOA, which was from the Obama-Biden administration, uh, th this thing was incredibly unpopular. You probably know this from your time in Washington. Uh, I mean, uh, Sean, that it, this was not a popular thing. This was a back scratching thing for Obama. People wanted to get Obama a win. It was always a bad deal. It always empowered Iran. And then Iran got $6 billion or whatever the number was in on a pallet. Like, like, how do we, well, we send a pallet of cash? The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you, and will challenge me intellectually, you're not gonna find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe, download now, the truth. Who sends people who fund terrorists all over the world, who openly wanna destroy America, one death to America, one death to the Jews, one death to Israel, who gives them a pile of cash? Of course, at least some of that money is gonna be used for terror. And if not literally that money, I mean, everyone wants to play these games. It's fungible. His money's fungible. It right. Means, yeah, he could he could he could free up other funds to use for terror. So no one does that who takes American and Jewish lives seriously. No one does that. And yet Biden did the same thing. So now Biden's out there and Biden gives a speech and it's an okay speech. He doesn't call out Iran, but the speech is okay. And he gives okay speeches. That's one thing I write in the book is he's he's not as terrible uh, as, of a speech giver as people let on. Uh, people want to portray him as though he's always bumbling. He's got a fastball. It comes out sometimes. He gives an okay speech, and we're just golf clapping. Very nice, Joe. He waited three days. Once he was done with his weenie roast at the White House, then all of a sudden he started to finally get focused. He misses the essential thing here, which is Iran. But look at the whole policy. Also, but if he, it's not just Obama Iran. Yeah, he misses his whole left wing of the party. It's no one on the right is siding with Hamas. Yes. He He's not – I mean – if this was Trump, they'd be saying you called out both sides. Where is he calling out Rashida Tlaib and Omar and all these other ones that are siding with Hamas? The students at Harvard and UVA that are saying death to Israel and it's okay and it's their fault. Where is he calling out his own side? You know, there's there's another one that was the, the yeah the BLM example there, is, is very big. Awesome, but, but the State Department calling for a ceasefire, essentially. Everyone needs to use restraint. Uh, Sean, there's a word for when you equate terrorists and their victims. It's called evil. That was an evil tweet from our State Department. You can't just delete that and expect us all to forget. That was raw evil coming out of our State Department. I don't know who sent that tweet, but the fact that that person has been fired uh, and, and publicly shamed is because we've lost our moral compass as a country. And that is something that starts with Joe Biden. He is the guy at the top of that. Uh, just sending this money to Iran is such a big deal, but he also wants to return to the JCPOA. Not only does it elevate Iran, it elevates Russia. Sean, we were told our whole lives that Russia is the worst entity in the planet. Putin's the worst guy. And you can't have a JCPOA without elevating Russia's status in the world. That's the mechanics of the deal. And we're supposed to simultaneously believe the left is so afraid of Putin, hates Putin so much, but also he want to elevate him by the JCPOA. It's totally incoherent and dangerous. So I mentioned before you joined us that we're in the middle of this impeachment inquiry. And Anna Paulina Luna joined us yesterday, the congresswoman from Florida. She's on the oversight committee. Yeah. 
How much of what you report in the book no one has seen before? Uh, a fair bit. I, I think that there are some details, particularly with the some of the Chinese deals overseas um, that is fresh. I think some of the domestic deals, I don't think people understand the extent to which Joe is running grifts within the United States right now. Uh, the, the fact that his this apparatus that he created with the Penn Biden Center at the University of Delaware Biden Institute and the satellite DC office. Uh, it was designed as a wealth creation strategy. That's the exact quote uh, that I feature in the book, a wealth creation strategy. So is any of this money would, getting back to he, him? Does, is there any, like, in oh, that, how does it get back to Joe Biden? So he, he, th this is the trick that I don't think that that is the right question to ask. Okay. The question is, does it get to the family? It does go to Joe. In these cases, it does because he's part of these institutes. But I, I want to caution you on that question because a bribe can include family members. And we know that there's huge intermingling of finances between Hunter and Joe. We cite, for example, how a Joe was using a Rosemont phone. Rosemont's one of Hunter's companies. Uh, we cite examples of a Hunter complaining that he's paying all of Joe's bills. Um, we don't know if Hunter's being honest, but we know that Hunter said that. Uh, I, I broke in breaking the news, my first book, that Hunter flew on Air Force Two with Joe Biden over, uh, over a dozen times probably pushing about two dozen times. He was on Air Force Two. Well, why is Hunter on those flights going to places like China? He's going there to cut deals. And then if you trace it, Joe's policy changes. So you can pay the family and have that count as a bribe, legally speaking. So uh, we're not going to get a photo of Joe with a corkboard check, but we do have the photo of him with those, uh, I think it was Ukrainian executives on the golf course with Hunter. So we know Joe's out there cutting the deals with them. So it's a, we have to be willfully blind to not assume that's happening. Um, but this wealth creation strategy, Sean, that they had, they were trying to emulate the Clinton Global Initiative with one big difference. They wouldn't have to raise money. Now, how could you have an entity like the Clinton Global Initiative without having to raise money? You can only do it if there's a wink and a nod to foreign entities to load up your coffers. Those are the only entities that are rich enough to do this so that they would just funnel the cash in there and then presumably they would get favors in return about, mm, let's say when Joe becomes president, that'd be a nice time for it to happen. And he's not been tough on any of these entities and, and take a look at Ukraine as the best example uh, that have been funneling money to his family. So how much... Um, I, you know, we mentioned the impeachment inquiry. Have you shared your findings of the book with with members of Congress, especially the ones in the Oversight Committee? Uh, not one to one. I mean, the book's only been out for a week and I've been very uh, blown away by the response. I mean, people are so enthusiastic about it. And so many of our of our friends and colleagues in conservative media have been uh, very vocal about suggesting uh, Mark Levin, for one, suggested every member of Congress should read the book. Um, I, I think it does provide a playbook of where the investigation should go and which questions should be asked ultimately when Hunter and Jim and Frank, it's not just Hunter, it's the whole family, there's uh, Biden's cutting deals all over the world, what should be asked specifically? And if they're asked publicly, if you ask the family members, uh, if they ask about, um, you know, uh, if you ask Jim Biden, uh, uh, what, what was his experience in commercial real estate when he got a contract to set up 100,000 homes in Iraq? Uh, what was his qualifications for that? I would love to hear his answers. Uh, when you ask Hunter, what service was he providing to Burisma? I would love to hear his answers. Uh, I was asking uh, Hunter and Jim how they got into a business 
with the effing spy chief of China, Hunter's words, and what services they provided. There's a lot of questions that I think I lay out that I'm not going to be able to answer them. They're, they're, I work with a small team of researchers. Uh, I'm in my home office for the most part, just north of LA. I don't have subpoena power. These people need to be subpoenaed, and I will provide the questions that they should be asked uh, if anyone asks me. So the last thing I want to get to you with is, is um, over, the week, over the last couple of days, two profile pieces, puff pieces, have come out from the New York Times and the Atlantic trying to make the case for yeah. all the challenges that Kamala Harris faces. The biggest challenge I face, I think she faces, the fact that she wasn't chosen because she was qualified. She was chosen because of her gender and the color of her skin, which actually, ironically, both articles somewhat touch on, but don't, you know, talk about systemic racist and racism and all this stuff, as opposed to the fact, I mean, she was never chosen for a qualification. But in the book, you you note that there was um, an unreported and audacious reason why she was chosen. What do you, what is your- yeah. yeah. So, so there's, there, you got half of it, the race, gender, ethnicity stuff. She's a BIPOC woman. Um, that, that is, that is why she was on the ballot half. That's half. So I, I feel in the, the other half and it's a combination of two things. And I think it's very interesting when you, you go through it and what I detail in the book. In fact, the Kamala Harris chapter is one of my favorites and it was twice as long. I had to trim it down because uh, she's becoming less relevant in the day-to-day -day discussion. I want the book to be uh, digestible, readable for people. Um, but the, the main thing is that she is the most networked Democrat in both Silicon Valley and Hollywood, which are the two biggest places where Joe Biden needs money. And so Joe Biden tapping her as his vice president means that he has access to uh, endless sums of money, not just from Hollywood. Jeffrey Katzenberg, for example, who's one of the biggest big shots of Hollywood, said he will give Joe whatever he needs to get reelected, literally whatever he needs. But Silicon Valley, and, and I think Silicon Valley is really interesting because uh, Silicon Valley's girl in Washington, gal, is Kamala. So not only does that guarantee that the richest group of people on the planet other than you know kings and oligarchs etc silicon valley uh, they are able to load up the biden harris ticket with all the funds they need and i demonstrate exactly who's doing that and how they do so i've got a big piece in breitbart where i summarize some of it uh coming out soon um but that that's all the tale of the book who these oligarchs are in silicon valley who prop up commerce and uh, there it's very scary stuff um, but it goes beyond that, Sean, because it's also a wink and a nod to Silicon Valley that they're going to be able to roam free. They're going to be able to engage in all the monopolistic tactics that Google yeah. does, et cetera. And so Joe is not just not a threat to Silicon Valley. He's never been a threat to Silicon Valley, uh, which is why they preferred him over Trump. Um, right. But now he's actually an ally by putting Kamala on the ticket. And it gets even better. Because when you start seeing the tasks that Joe put in front of Kamala, he was setting her up to fail the right. whole time. He gave her tasks she could never succeed. So he orchestrated this perfectly, gets the BIPOC woman on the ticket, all of that Hollywood cash, all of that Silicon Valley cash, guarantees Silicon Valley will never go against him. And then he gives Kamala these crap assignments so she will never surpass him. It's really quite brilliant. And it would really, in retrospect, it was a genius pick by Joe. I, I, I agree with you on that. Like people don't realize how genius it is that people literally have to pray for Joe Biden because they're scared of her. Um, again, the name of the book. <laughs> That's so right. It's That's so, so right. true. I mean, you're like, 
I hope nothing happens to Biden because that's, I mean, when you're number, the whole point of a vice president is to be able to step in when you're scared of that person, you want the president to succeed. No one worried. I mean, people knew that Mike Pence was qualified. They knew that, you know, Al Gore was qualified. I mean, like that's the nature of the VP. But when, you know, Dick Cheney, to boy, I mean, you name it. But this time he chose somebody that everybody was going, oh, gosh, please no. Um so, oh, oh, oh! People think Joe's a puppet. I mean, just you—you—you you ain't seen nothing yet. If Kamala ever gets in, all right. Well, congratulations. The name of the book again is Breaking Biden. Uh, if you read Breaking the News, uh, you have—you know what you're in store for, which is a very well researched, very digestible understanding of what's going on in, in that case in the news industry, in this case in Biden world. So, congratulations on the book. Look forward to having you back. Sean, we're loving the new show, and thanks so much for featuring me. You bet. All right, well, as I said, I read Alex's first book, Breaking the News. It was really well-researched. Um, a lot of insight into how the media operates, and he had some great examples. And so Breaking Biden, uh, I think you can expect the same. And I thought it was interesting how he said that so far, Mark Levin has told members of Congress they should read it. I hope all the Oversight Committee folks read it. Because Alex's point at the end was important. I'm not a lawyer. You guys have heard me say this before. But this definition of bribery, I've always been saying that we need to connect it directly to Biden. How, you know, here's the cash that he has. Here's the money in his account. But if Alex is right and bribery can extend to a family and Hunter's been paying for stuff, well, then that counts too. But let's draw those dots. And so I hope that everybody takes the time to read this and see more of these dots. I wrote in my first book, in my, in my last, well, two books ago, I guess, um, radical nation. I talked about Frank Biden and Jim Biden. I mean, these guys, Alex uses the word grift for good reason. I mean, these guys have been getting loans and deals off of the Biden name forever. And we all know about Hunter. So it's good. And it's interesting that, that he's exposing this now. Um, anyway, I do want to turn back to this nomination of Steve Scalise as the new speaker. I got to be honest with you. This thing went a lot quicker than I thought it was going to go. I thought it was going to drag on. I thought people were going to demand rules changes. I think people came to their senses. And I think what's going on in Israel knocked some sense into a lot of people about trying to reopen the rules package from the beginning of the year. There was this motion initially today. So right now, the way it works is the House conference voted. And whoever got it, they'd all kind of, uh, you know, agreed as a family to say, OK, whoever wins the vote, we're going to get behind. Um, there was a motion that said, well, you got to keep voting until somebody gets to 217. And that could have really delayed this thing, especially if, if other, you know, if McCarthy had gotten a couple votes, if Kevin Hearn, the Freedom Caucus guy, had gotten a couple of votes. Well, that didn't happen. We had this straight up vote. That motion got tabled right off the bat. That was being seen as a good sign for Scalise and clearly was. But it wasn't that close. 113 to 99 over Jordan, that's a 14 vote margin. Um, that's great. I mean, institutionally, Scalise had all of the advantages. He had the whip operation, if you will. Those He had enough allies going out, counting votes, double checking with people, making those lists. Jordan's new to this. He was a committee chairman, but you don't have that kind of operation as a committee chairman. And you haven't given out a ton of money. We talked about this with Anapolina Luna. It's like, so Scalise could call in favor and say, hey, I, I remember I came in, I campaigned for you. I helped get you elected. When you were in a tough reelect, I, I supported you. So, but here's the caveat. 
He still needs 217, 218 on the floor. 217 because there's a couple members missing. Ken Buck, Colorado congressman, says he's going to vote present. That's fine. But then you've got Max Miller and Lauren Boebert both walking out of the conference saying that they're still going to vote for Jim Jordan on the floor. Well, who else joins them? Does a Matt Gates? Does a Tim Burchette, a Bob Good? Because if he gets doesn't get those all that support, we're going to go back to the McCarthy situation and vote over and over and over again. You know, I brought this up with Alex. It's funny. Both of the candidates basically told the conference, uh, hey, I know we all want to have 12 appropriation bills, but guess what? We're probably going to have to pass another short-term CR. We're down to 36 days before the government shuts down again. If you really think they can get another eight bills passed, send them over to the Senate and the Senate get back. You're, it's just not possible. Not possible. The Senate has shown zero will to do that. They already sent over one omnibus continuing resolution. They're not going to do their work. Not going to happen. Doesn't mean you don't push them. Push them. Let's go. I'm all for it. But the reality is, is that we're going to get to a situation where we're back to where we were. I want the House to fight. I want the House to fight for lower spending. And that's what we're doing. Plus, You've got Biden already saying that they want, what, $20 billion in Ukraine funding, plus they're going to want more money for Israel now. So we got some fights on our way. Just know that. We got a lot of work that has to get done. And at least now these guys can focus. By the way, one other quick thing. Because Scalise moved up, he was the House majority leader. You've got Kevin Hearn saying that he's going to, he's the study committee chairman. He said he's going to run for majority leader. You've also got Tom Emmer, the whip, saying he's probably going to run for majority leader. Elise Stefanik saying she might, or does she go for whip? I, but because Scalise moves up, there's now going to be a cascading effect. Who runs for majority leader? And if Emmer runs for that, does he give up the whip position to run for it? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, we got a lot of work that we still got to get going on here right now. So a lot more to happen. We will obviously keep our eye on it. Through the rest of the week, we'll keep you informed as we always do. Later this week, by the way, I mentioned we got a lot of other great guests, including Bill O'Reilly, that are going to come your way. So a lot to break down. Um, so do me a favor. Again, I've said this every night. I do appreciate this, this world of independent media. I thank you all for subscribing, um, for helping to spread the word. It's so important. It means a lot to the sponsors. It means a lot to our success. Go to YouTube, to Rumble, subscribe. Go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe. They do a thing there, five stars. If you want, we've got a new thing. You can text with me. Send me ideas, questions, feedback. 571-441-4991. 571-441-4991. Shoot me a text. Or you can go to my, you know, seanspicershow.com slash VIP. Join there. I want your feedback. What are we doing well? What do you want to hear more of? What do you want to hear less of? I see the comments. I try to respond as I can. But, you know, there's a lot to break down. And as we go forward with the speaker's race, Steve Scalise, the nominee to be the speaker, we're going to have a lot to talk about. Do they get these bills moving? Where's the supplementals for all this additional spending? Anyway, we got a great panel discussion tomorrow. Friday, as I mentioned, we're going to talk to Bill O'Reilly. We've got so much to break down and two more days to do it in. Anyway, big news here in Washington. I'm glad you spent today with us to hear it all. So we'll see you right back here tomorrow on The Sean Spicer Show. Have a great evening or day if you're listening tomorrow. 
Well, if you enjoyed this content, make sure you click the link below to find out more, or you can go to seanspicershow.com to stay up to date on all my content.